Why Always Us is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. And welcome to Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. With the football void needing to be filled, we've decided that this week's show is going to be a Cult Heroes special. I'm David Mooney and with me again this week is Jack Pitbrook. Jack, hi, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks Dave, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm just longing for the football to be back in, in a weird way. But like, in a weird kind of, it's not that important way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. It's, uh, it's just odd. Anyway, football might be on hold for the time being, but there's plenty of stuff still going on on The Athletic. Uh, Jack, what have you been up to this week? So, I I did our Tottenham podcast yesterday where we looked at the 1998-99 season. Uh, I've been working on a few other things, some nostalgic, some kind of non-football-y. Uh, I did a story last week about the non-league clubs asking for a bailout because obviously they're well, not a bailout, but some some money because obviously they're going to miss out on all of their income until football is resumed. Uh, so yeah, there's there's still an awful lot to write about, and I think there's been some fantastic stuff on the Athletic in the last week or so. I was going to say, if you uh, if you're wondering why we're doing cult heroes this week, it's because I saw an interview with uh, the City legend that is Glauber Bertie up there. Uh, he played six minutes for City on the final day of uh, two thousand and eight nine, uh, and I managed to miss it because I was on holiday. Do you remember it, Jack? Yeah, I do. I actually can't. I don't think I was at that game, um, but yeah, I, I remember it being like a big, a big kind of cult thing, and then everybody went mad when he came on. <laughs> so much, so much so. I remember, I remember watching. A, I think it was an interview or a press conference that Vincent Company did soon after, where he got asked jokingly about it, and Company actually got quite defensive and was saying the guy like the guy trains really hard. He's a really good professional. Like, don't make him into a joke. Uh, and I, I, so I really, really enjoyed Jack Lang's interview with him the other day where he just comes across like a great guy. Uh, yeah, exactly. And if you'd uh, like to read what the defender said to uh, Jack Lang, or you'd like ad-free podcasts like ours or Football Clichés or Ronstein and Chappers, then you can sign up and get a 40% discount now with the code MANCITYPOD. Uh, now, obviously, Jack, because uh, because Glauber Bertie's been taken, uh, we've decided to pick three cult heroes each for City. Um I want to I want to kind of just get into what what do you think for City? What does a court hero mean? Because I don't want to I I don't want to spend the next kind of half hour or so talking about carrying a Brigston without setting it into you know into context. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess it doesn't mean it doesn't mean a great player. Like it doesn't mean Sergio Aguero, David Silva, Yaya Toure, company. Um, it has to be someone who's popularity somehow exceeds their achievements and maybe because they were less talented than other players or maybe because they were less worked less hard than other players perhaps so I'm, I'm not sure you could even have like Georgie King Cladsey as a cult hero because he wasn't a cult hero he was a hero uh he was City's best player by miles in a very difficult time um so it has to be someone who was like more popular than you would assume them to be and it has to be someone I think who their flaws somehow connected them to the fans. Do you know what I mean? It's like somehow the fans 
like identified with them in a way which fans of other clubs wouldn't understand. And that's not to say it's something which belongs uniquely to City, because other clubs have their own cult heroes too. But sometimes a fan, bl- a fan base will just take to a player for reasons that are not always obvious to people from external to that club. Um, and I think that's what we're going to try and get into today, although, of course, it is a very, very subjective topic. Yeah, it is that. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that there's plenty of players at City, certainly from our era of City, that had absolutely no success whatsoever, but just don't get the adulation. And yet there are some that were, were utterly useless. And the best thing you could probably say about them were, you know, well, he tried hard, bless him, but that was it. Yeah, completely, completely. And um, I actually, so I've come up with three, and I'm already second-guessing my choices because I think one of them maybe was slightly too good or one of them was like is already too famous to be a cult hero and one of them I think was just rubbish and I don't even know why I picked it. We, we, <laughs> we'll get, we we'll get, get into all of that, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's start with your first choice. Your first choice uh, was uh, signed by Sven-Goran Eriksson. Uh, he lit up the Etihad for technically two seasons but it felt more like one where he was, uh, where he was producing the good, good stuff. Uh, let's talk about Alano. Yeah, so Alano is one of my favourite City players ever, I think. So the other day I got tagged into this, name your four favourite footballers, or name four footballers who really like lit up the game for you, me, like viral meme thing that's going around Twitter. Uh, and Alano was the first name on my team sheet. And I just, I loved him. I loved him so much. I thought that he was, I just loved watching him play. He was so skillful. He was so clever. He was so different from the players that City had had for the sort of previous five years, basically. Because, you know, as all listeners will know, City under Stuart Pearce were so miserable. They were so bad and unimaginative and boring and uninspiring. And there was nothing. They were all painful to watch. They were genuinely painful to watch. And then in 2007, when um, Tax and took over and appointed Svenja and Eriksson, and they went and bought players seemingly at random from around Europe. Probably, the, I mean, the best player they bought by far, really, was Alano from Shakhtar Donetsk, who was a very, very talented Brazilian player who, I think, played a little bit for the Brazil national team. And he was just... It, it was like... You know that bit in... I th- I'm trying to remember what the film is. Uh, I think it's what Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, when they release all those children from the temple and they've been <laughs> in a cave underground their whole lives and then they run out and they are blinded by the sunlight because they've never seen sun before. That was what it was like watching Alano in the summer and autumn of 2007 after the last few years of Samaras, Beasley, Trebelsi, Darbo, etc. It was like something I've never seen before. He he had this ability. I, mean, I remember that the very first match of the day of the season, I remember Alan Hansen, it was, talking about Alano's performance at West Ham. Giovanni was the Brazilian that had scored late on that day. Uh, I think Bianchi opened the scoring that day. But all the focus was on Alano and how he just how he drifted into space and how he looked around and, and, and made sure that there was nobody around him. And, you know, we were all really excited about what he was going to bring. And then, I think it must have been about, it couldn't have been more than a month later, uh, he scores that wonderful free kick against uh, Newcastle, scores another one against Middlesbrough, and we all think, yeah, he, this guy's a player, isn't he? Yeah, completely. So I was at that game at West Ham, and that was one of the best City games I've ever been to in terms of, like, just the unbelievableness of seeing City play that well. Like, the so the first goal was, I think Alana got the ball in midfield and ghosted away from, God, this who would it have been, like Nigel Iokoko or someone in, West, in midfield for West Ham, drifted out to the right, and then, without really looking up, just kind of swung this cr- kind of low cross around the back, which Bianchi ran onto, 
and stuck it in the bottom corner. And it's like, wow, who's this guy? Like, where, where do we get him from? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, like, obviously the freak against Newcastle was astonishing. In the Middlesbrough game, there was one that he put in the bottom corner from 30 yards and another free kick from not that far out, which he kind of lifted up quickly over the wall, straight back down into the far top corner where the keeper couldn't get him. And yeah, like in terms of like the level of technical skill and stuff he could do, it was just out of this world. And then uh, it kind of like the rest of the team, he faded a bit in the second half of the season, scored a fantastic goal in the 8-1, where he kind of cut in from the right, jinked past two defenders, left foot, top corner. That that was a brilliant goal. And it was, it, I, I always think back to that goal because it's, it, it's one of them games where... Um, uh, <sighs> It's kind of, that's a cult game in in and of itself, just because it's um, it, it, the magnitude of City's defeat that day just summed up their their collapse under Sven, and yet they still scored the best goal of the game, and Alano couldn't celebrate it because it was at seven nil when he scored it, and it was just it, it was ridiculous. One of those would rather looks like he's celebrating like he'd rather have missed it. It was that it, it was that bad a day. Yeah, but the the away if you if you watch I wasn't there, but if you watch the clips, like the away end celebrated it really really hard. It looked and I've some of my mates were there and they, they said it was actually kind of funny at the end and they did they all went totally mad when Alano scored that goal it's I can't I can't imagine I mean is it fair to call him a fair weather player in that sense he only seemed to do it at the start and the end of the seasons uh yeah I think that is fair enough I think he did obviously struggle a bit when you know in the middle of the season when he got tired and you know lots of players who've never played in the Premier League before have struggled in the middle of the season over the Christmas games not like City struggled City were rubbish in the middle of that season and actually this is an interesting thing in in the Glauber piece from that Jack Lang did the other day when when Craig Bellamy came in in the middle of the following season January his kind of first thing he did was like be very very critical of um like the Brazilian players, like because obviously Rubinho was there by that point. Basically, Alano, Rubinho, and Joe saying they weren't working hard enough. They were they didn't like their attitude to training. And Bellamy and like Glauber hilariously in Jack's interview kind of goes back and hammers Bellamy, saying that Bellamy was jealous for because like he wasn't as good a player as Rubinho. Now, I mean that is a debate for another day. But I like clearly. Alano wasn't that good in like in in that second season, and he he probably, if we're honest, had more bad games to City than good ones. Yeah, but I still I, think so. What he's still a great player. What so when you think Alano, what haircut do you think of? Because he had his shaved head, he had his curls, he had he had a spell with cornrows. He did have a spell with cornrows. Those cornrows were terrible. They were really <laughs> really bad. Uh, I don't know. He was just like he had he kind of looked kind of nerdy, didn't he? In a way that not a lot of players do. He was just really he's kind of skinny and spindly. And I remember that one game. Do you remember when the infamous 2-0 uh, up, 3-2 down Fulham game at home? Oh, yes. He played at, right back. At the yeah, he played right. So I, went, I remember going to that game and he played right back. And basically, he obviously like never, ever tackled anyone. So he, his approach to playing right back was just hit these amazing diagonal passes. <laughs> and, you know, for 60 minutes, it worked. And then God's like City conceded three goals at the end and Hodgson kept Fulham up. Um, but yeah, that was a uh, that was a very strange day. Oh, the one, one other thing that I always remember about Alano, and this was in in his second season under Mark Hughes, is that fantastic. Uh, sorry, let me just check the date on my laptop. Um, he scored the penalty against Hamburg in that fantastic. Oh, UEFA he did. Cup, that fantastic UEFA Cup game. Um, 
at where City won 2-1 but lost 4-3 on aggregate, which was certainly of the kind of pre, pre-Mancini era. Uh, I think probably the best, the best atmosphere at the Etihad up until the Aguero game. Um, that was an incredible game. I think I th- I've got a feeling, you know, Jack, that he, that day, I think he kept shooting from corners. I think he kept taking corners and trying to score at the near post. Yeah, that would make Didn't he hit, didn't he hit the post as well? Or he, he hit the, hit bar the post and the kick? bar, yeah. He, yeah I he think he free- hit both. Yeah, and, um, you know, that was, that was weird, wasn't it? Because it was so, that was back when City being in a, you know, City have had their struggles in Europe recently, but City being in a UEFA Cup quarterfinal, was like the biggest deal in the world. Um, but they, um, yeah, unfortunately, the, they couldn't do it. But that the the, pen, the fact that he scored a penalty in that game set up what was really a fa- you know a, a genuinely epic game at at the Etihad. His his penalty taking generally was was fairly good. I mean, City City have missed a lot recently, but back in the day, they were blessed with with some great takers, and Alano was one of them. Yeah, he's the best penalty taker I've ever seen at City. He was immaculate. Going to move on to uh, my first choice now, who uh, is a striker who wasn't particularly prolific. Uh, he played barely a season and a half for the club, and he scored five goals in 25 Premier League appearances. Signed by Stuart Pearce as a free agent, I'm taking you back, Jack, to Emil and Penza. Um, he he saved City, in my eyes. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you remember back to uh, 2006-07 season, City were so bad and looked like they were going down, really, at Christmas, I thought. like They were so consistently bad through the middle of that season that, I mean, they, look, they, they were heading for the relegation zone if they weren't in it already. And it was really those, what, Middlesbrough away, Newcastle away, Tottenham at home. I mean, actually, sorry, t- Tottenham away, they lost. But it was those Middlesbrough and Newcastle wins which really rescued City from serious trouble. It was. I remember. I was playing football with my mates uh, over Easter, and I, I, we, we were utterly convinced that City were, were going down that year. We, we just, we, we just like the performances had been bad. They couldn't score goals. Fair play. They weren't conceding that many goals, but they just weren't winning games. And then we all got, we all piled back into the car, just uh, off playing off the field. You know, that did that thing where you get the mud off your off your legs and then just kind of sit in the car and the rest of your kit, and. We, we got back into the car and City were, uh, we listened to, put the radio on and thought, oh, I wonder what, what, what City are doing. And they were 3-0 up at Fulham out of absolutely nowhere. And that was off the back of those Middlesbrough and Newcastle wins. And it was that Easter period that just kept City up that year, largely spurred on by the fact that Mpenzig just gave them this added impetus up front. Completely, yes. And my big memory of that of that spell was, I've got, I've got it here, th- Saturday 3rd of March 2007. So this is before Mpenzig's debut. And City were playing Wigan Athletic at home. And I was playing football in the park with my friends. And at the end of, of our game, I checked my phone. And I saw that City had lost 1-0 at home to Wigan. I assume that would have been Paul Jules Wigan. Caleb Folan scored the only goal for Wigan. And I was so convinced in that moment that City were going to go down that I hurled my phone against a tree and smashed it <laughs> and sat under the tree for about half an hour thinking, Christ, City are definitely, definitely going down. They they've got no chance of saving themselves. So it was, and then obviously the the, the next game was the Blackburn away game in the FA Cup, which they oh, lost. That was in, a disaster. Yeah, yeah, like the absolute nadir of the Stuart Pearce era. And then the next game after that, they well they lost at home to Chelsea, but then after that, beat Middlesbrough away, beat Newcastle away, then a draw with Charlton, then beat Fulham away, and then they were safe. So it was think, really yeah. the space of March, basically March April two thousand seven, that Impenza changed the whole direction of the club. 
It was. I mean, the other the other goal that I think of with Umpenza, the, the Newcastle one at St James's Park was fantastic. He finished that really well. But the one I always think of is that diving header he scored against Newcastle in Sven's season. Um, I think City had gone behind early on. Martin Petrov uh, equalised in the first half, and then pretty much straight from kickoff in the second half. I think Alano again put a ball across, and Mpenza just out of nowhere pulled this diving header into the bottom corner with his with his uh, like dreadlocks just kind of flapping behind. And it was a brilliant, a lovely aesthetic goal. Yeah, well, the, I mean, what I remember about the start of that season is that City obviously spent big money on Bianchi and Bojanov, and they were the two options up front, and. Then Bojanov did his ACL, I think, in West Ham away uh, on his debut, or maybe it was a game or two after that. So he was out of the picture for basically the whole season. And then Bianchi, kind of like, he was good, but he, you could tell he didn't really fit the Premier League. Like, he was clever, but he he wasn't strong. He wasn't quick. I mean, he's very slow, actually. And he couldn't really hold the ball up. And so Mpenza, who was kind of, you know, he started the season as yesterday's man, came in pretty soon. And Mpenza was basically first choice centre-forward through September and October of that season. And I think he did get, he did add something to the team in terms of, like, he did know how to hold it up. He could lead the line. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he played pretty well, I think, in that in that bit of the season. I might just be spreading rumours here now because I don't know this for sure, but there were rumours that he that, that the reason he never played again after uh, a nine-minute cameo against uh, Birmingham later in the year was that another appearance would trigger a contract extension and uh, they didn't want to give it to him. I, I I hadn't heard that, but that would that totally sounds plausible. That 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 sounds very very. That that sounds like it could be true. That, it, it's it's a very city thing, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. Let's uh, let's have your second choice. Um, I, I'm I'm interested on, on why on earth you've picked David Pizarro. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I picked David Pizarro either. Uh, I was just thinking about players who I like watching at City who didn't who weren't very good from the last few years and I wanted someone who was a little bit more present like uh, who was more recent than Alano and then obviously I did, and I, obviously I didn't want to go for like someone who was actually good uh, you know like Silva Zabaleta Company Yair um, so I was kind of thinking about hmm, who, who was there Javi Garcia no he kind of annoyed me then there was another player who you picked so I didn't want to double up and uh, yeah I couldn't really make my mind up and then I thought fuck it David Pizarro um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so da- David Pizarro I think started two games for City in 2011-12 20, uh, season I have um, a reputation Jack for, for checking the numbers on things like this and it wouldn't be me if I didn't do this he never completed 90 minutes for City uh, he played yeah. 233 minutes in total yeah and most of his most of his appearances for City by which I mean like three of the five came in um, were like literally just the last five minutes like, he was so obviously not cut out for playing the Premier League. Like, he was this kind of squat, quite slow, little midfielder who would just kind of waddle around in the middle of the pitch, miles off the pace of the game. And uh, and yet, he, I kind of took to him. Like, I liked him. I thought he was he was quite fun to watch. Like, he, he was very, very skillful. He was very clever. He was just really good on the ball. He could spot a pass. His touch was good. Obviously, he, like, wasn't up for competing in the Premier League in the normal sense but I I just kind of liked him like I, I would struggle I don't I 
I know that some of my friends agreed with me. I don't I don't know if any of our listeners agree with me. Listeners, if you agree with me about Abizarro, or even if you don't, please tweet us because I'm actually okay. curious to know what other people thought about him. I, I want to know if anybody can actually remember him, you know, because uh, the, the, the brief spell he had, I genuinely get him mixed up with uh, the guy that Sven brought in on loan at the end of the season, Neri Castillo. I get the two Neri of Castillo, them. Neri Castillo, yeah. yeah. The two of them just mix up in my, in my memory. So the, I mean, so I was going back through some old tweets and articles and stuff in preparation for this, and the 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 things which I could note, the things which stood out to me was that he did score. So he came off the last ten minutes of a Europa League game at home to Porto, and looked pretty good, and then scored quite a nice goal, which was set up by Jacko, where he burst into the box and stuck it in the bottom corner. So he did have his one goal for City, but then he, when City famously lost one nil to Arsenal. Uh, in April of that season. That was the game where Balotelli was sent off and it looked as if the title push was over. So Pizarro had to come on quite early in that game. So this was eight, Sunday, the 8th of April 2012. Basically, after 17 minutes, Yaya Torre went off injured, so Pizarro had to come on. And I thought Pizarro actually played pretty well. And I think I remember him doing one really good pass through to... Uh, I'm not sure who it was, Aguero. But the thing he's most famous for in that game was losing the ball to Mikel Arteta in the middle of the pitch. Arteta puts in the bottom corner. City lose. Balotelli gets sent off. And it looks as if the title is over. And he never played another minute for City after that, Bizarro. But if you watch the celebrations after the Aguero goal against QPR, you can see him in his City tracksuit, like, charging around. Delighted, <laughs> that, delighted that he's got his medal. Well, he didn't get a medal. He didn't get a medal. He didn't play he didn't enough get games. A medal. Oh, no. no. Sorry, I no, thought it, it was five games. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't make five in total, I don't think. Oh, no. Um, Damn yeah. it. City so, should uh, make him one. Make him one and send it to him. <laughs> the the interesting thing I find about about that that game as well the Arsenal game um, he uh, that, uh, of the day where City fell uh, kind of I think it was eight points behind with six games left and you think after that Mancini uh, did he, he he was really superstitious Mancini wasn't he so he uh, I think from that point on he kept the same team out of superstition and so there was just no way back in for him yeah 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 there was no. And I think there was obviously no no prospect of City signing him up permanently because he came on a what a, a half season loan from Roma in the middle of that season, having previously played for Mancini at Inter like, a few years before then. But he was already pretty old by that point, Pizarro. Um, like he was, he must have been well into his thirties. Yeah, he would have been like thirty two, I think, or thirty three when he came to City. I'm um, sitting here as a 32-year-old man, Jack. I'm not having you say that 33 or 32 is old. I'm not having it. Yeah. Well, I'm 31, <laughs> so I'm very young. <laughs> um, just a, a kind of final bit of trivia on uh, on him. He was the first Chilean to play for City. I did a I did a Sporkle quiz. Uh, I wrote a Sporkle quiz uh, not so long ago where it was named the first player of, of each of these nationalities to play for, for Man City. And um, I had Claudio Bravo as the first Chilean. And uh, somebody messaged me and said, I think you'll find it was David Pizarro. Oh yeah, I remember thinking when Pellegrini came in, like, wonder if he'll sign Pizarro, but obviously not. Have there been any other? Is it just those two, Bravo and Pizarro? Off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody else. But again, listeners, let us know. I mean, I'm I'm very open to being corrected about this. Yeah, dodge the bullet and not signing Alexis Sanchez, who would have been the third Chilean. Yes, they got him a year or two ago, two years ago. Uh, who, who knows? He, he might he might be a court hero now, though. So we don't we don't know. We can't yeah. we can't say that. Um, Going to move on to to my second choice and a man who I have put in here uh, only because there's one incident that I want to mention that happened against Queens Park Rangers in 2015. Uh, I've picked Martin Di Michelis, uh, who uh, there's so much going on with him, isn't there? Yeah, the, I mean, you you have to start with the ponytail. That, I mean, it's 
not only was it a terrible haircut when he first arrived and everybody went, who on earth is this geezer? By the time we all got on board with it, he shaved it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. He, and then he, I think he, um, it was at the point they they lost to Barcelona in the Champions League. Uh, I think that was the year they lost 2-0 at the Etihad. And then the week later, they had the opportunity for, um, uh, I think it was beat Wigan in the FA Cup, possibly the fifth round. And the League Cup final was the was the week was kind of like the weekend after that as well. So it was a really crucial spell for City. And um, I think Pellegrini named a really weak team for that Wigan game, and they lost two one at the Etihad with Martin Di Michelis giving away a penalty after having been sent off against Barcelona. And at that point, I, I honestly thought there's no way back for you. There's no way back for you in this team. You're far too slow. You can't defend. You're diving in all over the place. And then look, he had three years and became a cult hero. Yeah, it was. He had that like he was a little bit like Otamendi. He was like the Otamendi of his day, but with better hair, in the sense that he was he was really slow but also really aggressive and rash and he would dive in for stuff and you think why are you diving in you're slower than me <laughs> um just and yeah he kind of i think he he obviously found the premier league really really difficult at first because it was you know it didn't necessarily play to his strengths because it was how quick it was but to be fair to him i think i think he figured it out i think he knuckled down and found a way through and he That's was a- like he had some good games Certainly, that first season where where City won the league, him him and company formed a decent partnership by the end of it. Because I, I mean, the, the the redemption was when he when he had the Premier League trophy and ran across the South Stand with it, because, just to just to celebrate it all. Um, but him him and company formed a decent partnership that year. I think he suffered most when company got injured in the next two seasons. Yeah, I think what we've seen with a lot of City defenders over the years is that you're fine playing with company and then without company it's it's tough because company is so good and so dominant and so organizing i mean look at stones like stones is fine with company but disastrous with otamendi i think laporte frankly is better was better with company than with anyone else i think not if you have company alongside you your life becomes much easier take him away and it's not like frankly i'm just going back through and do you remember the famous game when city won 2-0 at hull we talked about this on the jacko podcast last oh, week oh yeah, yeah yeah we're still jacko played that was Dimichaelis and Javi Garcia at centre-back that was uh, honestly I, I've, I've just had a, a memory flash straight back into my mind from that one was uh, Dimichaelis and uh, Garcia played one of the best offside traps I've ever seen yeah. all all season they, they must I think Holt were caught offside about seven or eight times yeah, because every comp- time they stepped up and Dimichaelis's arm just went straight into the air every time yeah, it's because company was so. I've just found it here on Soccer Base. Company was sent off after ten minutes of that game, so Garcia had to move back from midfield into defence to play alongside Dimashelis, and that's why the win was so big. Yeah, no, absolutely no pace in that defence was. There. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazingly slow. Yeah, um, the, the 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 story I remember for for Dimichelis against Queens Park Rangers was um, I think City City must have been three or four nil up at the stage. It was it was the day QPR went down. Uh, Aguero scored a hat trick. But the, the thing that, that stands out for me more than anything else is Dimichelis had the ball on the halfway line and for absolutely no reason whatsoever just bent down and touched it with his hand. And Mike, Mike Dean, I think, was refereeing it. And I think he, he, I think he was looking straight at it and everybody just pretended it didn't happen. I don't remember that at all. It was it was really kind of eerily weird. I don't understand. Like 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 as if you know when players take a quick free kick and they just took, bend down, touch the ball, and then pass it. It was like yeah. that, but the ball never went out of play. <laughs> Amazing. No, that's completely news to me. We can't talk about Dimitrios without talking about how um, 
it, how it ended for him at City because uh, Marcus Rashford pretty much ended his City career in that in that one nil uh, Manchester United win at the Etihad um, just by by being a lot quicker and better than him. Uh, it, there was also that season that Liverpool game where him and Mangala were just at sixes and sevens for for the entire game. Yeah, yeah. So I just so uh, Dimitrios was taken off after fifty three minutes of that Rashford game. So for, I think the other day United tweeted. The Rashford goal. So I saw it again the other day, and it's it's still really painful to watch. The way that Dimichaelis just kind of tries to go in for a tackle, is too slow to even foul him, and then just crumples to the ground. And Rashford <laughs> races past him, and you're just watching it back now, like four years on, be like, no, Martin, no, have some dignity, man. You know, yeah. but the Actually, worst bit about that was I think he, he injured Joe Hart later in the game as well. I think by uh, giving him a short back pass. I seem to remember Caballero finished that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his last so, so Dimichaelis's last City start was I think that was that game. So he made two more substitute appearances for City at the end of that season, um, and his last City appearance was that infamous four-two defeat at Saints, where Pellegrini played basically all the players who weren't going to play against Real Madrid. Yeah. In the Champions League semi-final, so he played the second string, and they got absolutely Sadio Mane'd, who scored, scored a hat trick, and City lost four-two. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a sad. Day. I mean, in terms of memories of Dimitrios, what do you remember most about him? What, where, where does your, does you, do you have a fond memory of him, or like me, or do you, do you think actually, you know, it, it, it just, it just didn't end well at all? Um, I have a few memories. So he scored a few goals, didn't he? he scored that header at Arsenal in the two-all draw. I think that was the last time point. City scored from a corner for about six, six years, wasn't it? Or so. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, I was having lunch with my with my girlfriend's grandmother and like having to go to the toilet to check the score on my phone and then seeing he'd scored that late equaliser to rescue City a point. So that's my that's my memory of that game. So positive and, memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess I kind of respect the fact that he did find it really hard then found a way to make it work. Like he could have just, I don't know, he could have left or he could have given up. But he, he I think he stabilised and he wasn't a bad player. He was just sometimes looked a little bit out of place playing in in the Premier League but then he, you know he had a fantastic career like he played you, you don't play for Bayern and and River Plate and the Argentina national team if you're rubbish so I kind of res- I think I always respected him and he because of again because of his flaws and his haircut and all that stuff I think people did eventually take to him and yeah, he had that no. great Happy Monday song as well oh he did that- yeah I forgot about that Dimichaelis, 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 that ponytail drives me wild. <laughs> it does indeed. And then he cut it off, so uh, yeah. we couldn't sing it anymore. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you've got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to Why Always Us, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene as well. The beauty of Beer52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack thrown in as well. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, to get your case free and don't forget right now why always us listeners get two extra freebies 
just before we get on to our, our final choices, Jack, uh, I want to run through some uh, honourable mentions, some that didn't quite make it into into my list. I don't know about about about, uh, about for your list. Um, this one, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to say his name properly. Um, Joe Royal used to call him Peepo, uh, Kakabar Shadadzi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was a centre-half from Georgia when City had their, their spell of, of just deciding to sign the Georgian national team. Um, and he was brilliant until he got injured, I think, at Fulham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny because he was, you know, the kind of King Cladsey's mates players that they brought in to keep him company were actually, you know, not all of them were bad. He was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Van Buyten, he had a short loan spell at City, went on to better things elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Another, another one with great hair. Uh, he did, yeah. I, I remember he got he got sent off at Leeds for uh, Alan Smith diving, and I was at that game, and I never forgave Alan Smith for that. Um, Christian Nagui. Oh yeah, wow. A hand of God goal. Um, I think he I think he still holds the Premier League record for the quickest red card after coming on as a substitute, which was at Everton. Uh, it was like ninety seconds or so. Um, he was uh, sent off, a, a, I think, on his debut at Blackburn in the League Cup. And on top of all of that, there was a there was a League Cup game against Arsenal where he came off the bench and then just subbed himself off without telling Kevin Keegan that that's what he was doing. Incredible, yeah. Wasn't he quite highly rated when City signed him, I think? He was. I've no I idea, I've they, no idea what they saw in him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember uh, there was a great piece, I can't remember where I read it, but I just remember uh, somebody's uh, musings uh, as City were playing locker and uh, just thinking, what on earth did Kevin Keegan see in Christian Nagui? Yeah, I was thinking about Nigel de Jong, but I was wondering whether he was still... Is he too good to be a cult he, hero? Maybe I yeah, didn't have too, him. Yeah, too good, I think. I think he the fact that he uh, was part of that... that that move of um, bring uh, De Jong off, Tevez on, and push Yaya forward. Or Tevez off, De Jong on, Yaya further forward yeah. is just... The, the fact that he was involved in that means he's, he's just too good to be a, um, a cult hero, I'm afraid. Yeah, he was also like really, really good at what he did as well, in a way that some of these players weren't. Uh, Joe, just for hilarious haplessness and Forgot being, about very, him. <laughs> being very, very expensive. I mean, at, at the time, you know, given how much money City had at the time, he was astonishingly expensive and he was terrible. He was so bad. I had a friend who was an good. Everton fan. Uh, City sent him on loan to Everton uh, for, for two seasons running. I, don't, I have no idea why David Moyes came back for a second bite at the Cherry. Uh, but a friend of mine said to him, it's just like, I, I said to him, how's Joe getting on? And he went, it's like watching Bambi on ice. Yeah, yeah, he he was so because he was big, but he just didn't really impose himself at all. Um, and I think he got sent back for always being on the piss. I think I can say I think that is true. So I can say <laughs> it on this podcast. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. You're on your own with that one, I'm afraid. Uh, who else is there off the top of my head? I can't. Oh God, there's there's just so many city players in my mind that I can't. Well, I've got. I've got some tweets that were that were sent in to oh, us. Yeah. Chris, uh, Chris Pryor says, uh, Antoine Sibierski, a bald yeah. French number 10. Here endeth the similarities with Zinedine Zidane. On his debut at Charlton, <laughs> an emotional day because it was the first game since uh, the tragic passing of Mark Vivian Foe. Uh, he was superb, but he just didn't carry... But we didn't carry on... But we didn't carry on calling him Zizou. Uh, Ross Wood says, Kiki Masampa for me. Uh, he was yeah. one of the most Anfield. useless... But, uh, Anfield, yeah, there we go. Uh, he was one of the most useless, but would occasionally play a blinder. Uh, don't ask me to name when, though. Ultimately, always entertaining to watch for one reason or another. He scored some great um, volleys and great, uh, just great hits yeah. from the edge of the box. Yeah. Wasn't he in the Ajax team that was it? Ajax team that won the nineteen ninety five Champions League final. I think Masampa. Uh, I can't remember. He might have been. I think so. Yeah. He, uh, he, he he did sometimes look really good, but he also looked bad a lot of the time as well. 
He yeah. There was there was one occasion I think where I think he scored in that in that game against Middlesbrough on the last day of the season when City needed to win to get into Europe and David James played up front. I think oh, he yeah, got City's yeah. equaliser that day. Yeah. Um, Mr Connor uh, uh, backs me up with uh, Pipo Shadansi exotic name elegant centre back got crocked and that was pretty much that but when he played he was clearly miles better than any of our other defenders a sliver of gold in an at the time bagger shite team as Paul Calf might say and uh, Hell's Bells uh, says not even a City player this one uh, but we took to our hearts just in one night Alan who played for Alan, Red Bull Salzburg yeah. fantastic yeah just um, Hatem Trebelsi for the goal at, for the goal at Old Trafford that was really oh, good oh yeah um and oh, I, I quite like Felipe Caicedo. He scored a back heel half volley against uh, West Santander? Brom. Santander. Uh, oh no, against, Santander. Well, yeah. No, I think it was West Brom, but I think he also scored against Racing Santander. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was fine. Like he wasn't that bad, and he tried hard. Uh, that, that's that's the definition. Isn't it tried hard, bless him. There we go. Uh, right on to on to third and final choices for us. Uh, you're you're taking us back to um, 1999 and uh, and an absolute stalwart of a centre half. I, so, so I've gone for Andy Morrison. I'm, so since choosing him, I think this is maybe I think this is maybe too obvious. Like I think Andy Morrison might be just a, a genuine hero rather than a cult hero. If you know what I mean. Like his his achievements are real. It's not like David Pizarro played three games. Like he, I wonder. He, I wonder if that's not true though, because he didn't like uh, the name outside of Manchester City. I don't think means that much anymore. Maybe, yeah. I, I, I mean, Andy Morrison is the most, you know, one of the most important players in the history of the club. Um, so I've been reading uh, Tim Rich's fantastic book on City in the nineties called Beneath the Landslide, which I would recommend unambiguously to anyone. And it's got this fantastic interview with Morrison, all about how he came in in. January 1999, after a massive row with the Huddersfield manager. And this was, you know, at the time, Andy Morrison was a really bad alcoholic. And he basically gave up, he got sober in soon after joining City after a big talk with Joe Royal. And he recounts this, this, this meeting he had with Royal in really emotional detail in the book with Tim, saying that uh, basically, Morrison had been, I think, been arrested for being drunk in Scotland, and Royal called him in, and Morrison said, like, I'm sorry, I know I've let the club down. And Royal said to him, don't worry about the club, the club will survive, but you're you're killing yourself. You've got to look after yourself. And Morrison said that nobody had ever spoken to him in that way before. It's an incredibly moving passage. But Morrison did get sober, and he did help to transform City. Like his first, I think he scored in his debut for City against Colchester, he scored the next game against Oldham. And he, more than any other individual player, was responsible for turning City around and that that much better second half of the season they had, leading them up into the playoffs and into the final. So without, you know, if without Morrison's intervention, or sorry, without Morrison being there, I don't know, you know, who knows whether City would have got promoted that season and God knows where they would be now. Yeah, I, I when I interviewed Joe Royal, um, one of the things he said to me was that that um, what the club needed was not necessarily Andy Morrison on the pitch, but they needed him off the pitch. Uh, his his phrase was Andy was a bit of a bully, and that's what we needed at the time. And I remember I, w- I was doing a, a talk where I was uh, going through because I interviewed all of the the 1999 uh, playoff uh, winning team. And I was doing a talk through that that kind of era and playing out some of the uh, some of the uh, clips of the interviews that I'd uh, that I'd recorded. And uh, this uh, Andy Morrison was supposed to be the guest of honour at this at this uh, supporters club that was there. And I'd forgotten that that piece of audio was in there. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't know if Andy knows 
that Joe said this about him. And I don't want to be the one that sparks off an international incident. Anyway, he didn't turn up, so it was so I could play it out without worrying. But uh, but yeah, amazing. There's a great line in um in Tim's book about this where he says of Morrison, he was a damaged and passionate man, but Manchester City were a damaged and passionate club. They needed one another, and I definitely think that that you know if you read about how just how many players City had on the books at the time they had, I think Morrison said they had three dressing rooms: one for the first team, one for players who were kind of around the first team, and one for players they couldn't get rid of. And he had to somebody had to impose some standards, and somebody had to just shout at people and get them into line. And if they had, you know, obviously Joe Royal can only do that up to a point. Um, and without Morrison there to to shout and and organise and scream at people. City would never have dragged themselves out of that hole. So I think everyone connected with City owes a huge, huge debt to Morrison. I want to talk about, um, he was a centre-half, but he scored some some cracking goals. That header against Colchester set the benchmark to start with, but the, there was a vo- that volley against Oldham that you mentioned was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You watch it, yeah, if you watch that, you can see he's, he was not, I mean, he's not, it's not Imeric Laporte, but he wasn't talentless. Like he was just, he, you know, he just looked like, a nineteen uh, nineties second division centre back you would imagine would look like he, 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 yeah, he wasn't just he wasn't just a lump. He was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think uh, from the, the the goal kick was taken long, and I think Oldham headed it clear. And I don't think the ball touched the ground until it hit the back of the net. I think Gota headed it. Uh, Morrison headed it back to Gota, who then I think either uh, kneed it up to him or headed it down for him. And straight on the volley, Morrison pops it in the top corner. It was honestly, if you, it, it's, it, I, it must be on YouTube. If you're listening to this, go and go and have a look on YouTube because it's it's still to this day one of the best goals I've seen a City player score. Yes, someone, I'm not sure who, has put up a lot of the highlights of City games from 1999 onto YouTube. So, I mean, if you're stuck at home working from home for the next few months, watch them all because there's that most of the footage is there. It's really, really worth looking at. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of Morrison, do you think, but for injuries, he'd have he'd have played for at a higher level for longer? Maybe, yeah. There's no reason he couldn't have played at a high level. Like, he was good enough. Um, I mean, I know he's maybe, you know, a bit, uh, maybe a bit cumbersome, but I think City, yeah, I think City definitely could have could have used him more if he'd, if he'd stayed fully fit. And uh, I want to touch on his on his controversies because uh, they, they weren't small. Um, do, do you remember him getting sent off at Fulham for uh, a, an altercation where he says he didn't lick Stan Collymore's nose? But the referee's report said he did. Yeah, so I was, li- I was actually reading about this, was trying to ch- check the facts on, on the internet last night. It sounds like he, I think Stan, didn't Stan Collymore say that he licked, I think, so I've got it here. Collymore mentioned the incident in his autobiography, stating that Morrison stuck his tongue in my mouth, and that Morrison is one of three players, along with Andy Todd and Darren Purse, who sought to prove that they were real hard men when they were up against me. But I think in the... Fr- <laughs> In the footage, it definitely does look like he licks him. Yeah, I, I, and Andy says uh, that that the, the story is from Morrison's point of view um, that Stan was, uh, in his words, having a few troubles at the time and it, and it ended up at Fulham, and he he was certainly not going to try and get in Collymore's head in that way. But Collymore was was kind of like trying to, to to get in Morrison's head, and so the response was, "Well, I've I've got you licked, Stan. I've got you licked." And then he made the he said he says I made the gesture of a licking motion, 
after they've after this coming together and the referee's just pulled a yellow card out and then realized that Morrison's name is already on it and so he's had to show him the red amazing i didn't know that bit yeah so uh, really so I, morrison says he didn't stick his uh, tongue down his throat the papers said he did and you know it, it, it's I, I can't find the footage anywhere to verify it so if anybody can do uh, do let us know he also after i think after being subbed off against liverpool in the fa cup uh, in i think maybe his last season at, at city um he got into trouble for squirting water at liverpool fans oh yeah yeah i sorry i'd completely forgotten that that's really good he was sat on the bench. I think they were. I think they were taking the Mickey because City were losing. Obviously, City were losing at Anfield, but uh, but uh, and so I think he just started squirting water. Man, and I've got a feeling he got fined for that. You know. Oh wow. So uh, so yeah. Right. Uh, final choice for me, uh, and I'm uh, sticking with the goalkeepers' union on this one. Um, he was a goalkeeper who was rubbish to begin with, got a bit better, and proved himself in a penalty shootout, leaving the club an absolute hero. Uh, it's not Claudio Bravo. Uh, it's Willy Caballero, Jack. Oh yeah, Caballero. He was, um, yeah, he was pretty good. Like, I mean, I didn't think he was a good keeper, generally speaking. But I always thought he he sort of tried his best for City. He he was. My first memories of him were just like coming in for Joe Hart whenever Pellegrini would drop Hart for whatever reason. But he kind of, I think he kind of made made the role his own over time. Was it the impact of, of Claudio Bravo's disastrous first season where Caballero came in and, and just wasn't quite as bad that turned his opinion round in many heads? Was it was it actually that that Caballero was not great, but Bravo was just worse? Yeah, I think so. I think the the fact that he managed to displace Bravo for basically what what was it? Basically, the second half of the twenty sixteen seventeen season uh, stood him in stood him in good stead, and it showed that like you know. He, there's always a worse goalkeeper out there. You might think that... <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that is true. You can't deny yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, because Bravo... I mean, Bravo was just so disastrously bad when he came in. And also just so... I think it was the fact that he was so... My issue with Bravo was like things like like one-on-ones, like his saving... I don't know what his save percentage is. And I know that like save percentage is maybe slightly overrated as a metric. But he, Bravo just seems to let in a, an incredibly big incredibly high proportion of shots that are seemingly quite close to him like I was watching the other day somebody tweeted a clip of remember when City got beaten at home by Chelsea I think it was when Chelsea won the league in 1617 when Conte was manager and there's a goal where and City were brilliant for most of that game and then there's a goal which Willian scored on the break where Chelsea break brilliantly up the pitch in about 10 seconds and then Willian puts a low shot that's not that far away from Bravo's right foot, and he doesn't do anything to even stop it. And it was Bravo's like uselessness in one on ones that made me think, God, like I can't, you know, there is no way that Caballero can be as bad as this. And obviously Caballero, you know, wasn't as good with his feet as Bravo, and maybe didn't fit the kind of like Pep ethos as well. But he was, I mean, he's a kind of more basic, solid, reliable goalkeeper, I think, than Bravo was. There was the FA Cup game where uh, Pellegrini made a point about the fixture schedule, where he just he played a, a, a list of players that nobody had ever heard of uh, by by just uh, he threw the game at, at Stamford Bridge by I think playing uh, Caballero, Kolarov, and you know, nine assorted youngsters in that game. Uh, the day that David Fapaola got his only uh, City appearance and goal. Um, yeah, Manu Garcia, Alex Garcia, Bursa yeah. Salina, Tosin, Adarabio. Um, Fernando of all people, Kalechi. 
Humphreys Grant and Brandon Barker came on. Amazing. Yeah, uh, what a day that was. But I, re- I remember uh, that game. I think I think Caballero dived out of the way of four of the five Chelsea goals that day. And it was at that day where I thought, come on, man, you know, <laughs> at least dive the right way. Yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that was really. What wasn't that so that he could play the strongest possible team against Dinamo Kiev? Yeah, the and, and they, they won that time, and they won the League Cup final the weekend after. So I mean, it, it was, I suppose, um, vindication for Pellegrini. But I, he could have had a bit more of a go at that at that Chelsea game, I reckon. Yeah, and there were some great photos after that uh, Capital One Cup final game when uh, of Caballero being carried on the shoulders of City teammates. I think it might have been Bonnie. <laughs> Maybe Bonnie or Yaya is the hero after having a pretty miserable run of it uh, yeah, up until I, that point that season. We all thought, with, leading up to that League Cup final, because it was Liverpool in the final as well, we all thought, well, if he, if he doesn't play Joe Hart, then he's just asking for trouble. And to be fair to Caballero, we put in a great performance and then saved three penalties in the shootout. Yeah, it was amazing. That was it's it's great to have a because that was only like that was literally one week after the Chelsea game. At which point, uh, Caballero's reputation was pretty low. So it's amazing to have such a brisk turnaround and to become a cult hero that quickly. It shows how quickly these things can these these things can firm up and materialise. He was also after he left City. He was the other goalkeeper involved in that uh, that Kepper incident in the 2018 League Cup final. Yeah, that was amazing. That was so weird. Uh, and he's had like, I think at Chelsea, he's been, he's obviously, you know, he's not as, I mean, Kepper actually isn't that good, it's turned out. But Caballero's been kind of okay enough for Chelsea. Again, he's not great, but he's been quite a solid presence there as second choice over the last three years. And the thing about Caballero is that, and this is true both of his time at City and at Chelsea, like everyone, everyone you talk to at the clubs who knows him or who works with him says he's a great guy. Like he does genuinely he does genuinely seem like a great bloke and you know people who meet him seem to really warm to him and I think that is the kind of character that you need in a second choice goalkeeper because it is quite a strange job and you do need someone who is like you know willing to put the the whole group first and not get precious about not playing every game yeah he um he's on TikTok as well now I don't do TikTok I'm too old for TikTok uh but any yeah any younger listeners out there go and find him on TikTok because some of the videos that got shared to Twitter uh he looks like an absolute riot so uh so he's uh, he's certainly uh, he's certainly got the character for it as Jack says well, that's it for this week's Why Always Us. Uh, thank you for, for listening and uh, let us know your cult heroes from City because I, I think as we've discovered over the last kind of uh, 45 minutes or so that, uh, that there are plenty out there that we, uh, that we haven't touched. Uh, you've been listening to Jack Pitbrook. Thanks a lot. And me, David Mooney. We'll still be making Why Always Us during the break and there'll be plenty of Manchester City articles going up on The Athletic during this time as well. For that and for ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Music